So it's New Year's Eve, and I suspect that some of you have been thinking about New Year's resolutions. Perhaps in 2018, you're going to eat less chocolate or do more exercise or read more books or whatever it might be, and there's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, But why not make a New Year's resolution collectively as a church? And the one that I have in mind is, uh, is more challenging than the others I've mentioned, but infinitely more rewarding. Uh, Why don't we resolve to live uh, in community according to Colossians 3, 12 to 17, the reading uh, that Scott read to us? It is incredibly challenging, as we'll soon see, uh, but it is the life that we're called to, a life of love. And it might be fairly easy to live this life of love if it were time limited to uh, a couple of weeks or days or hours. Sustaining it in the long term well, that's a very different matter. Many people are able to tolerate and even have a very amicable relationship uh, with uh, certain relatives for short periods of time. But the longer you spend with them, the harder it is. You know that every family has a weird relative, right? If you don't know who it is, then it's probably you. So... Say you have this weird relative for Christmas, and if you're here visiting uh, someone this Christmas, I'm absolutely certain you are not the weird relative. It's definitely not you. Uh, But if you have a weird relative over for Christmas, and I know that nobody here uh, does, uh, you can get on with them very well for a few days, uh, uh, usually, sometimes. If they catch you at a good time, you can get on with them, but sometimes it's a relief uh, when they go home. The church is not like that. We don't just come together for Christmas. We live our lives together day by day throughout the year, year in and year out, or at least that's how the church should be. Our contact with other people from church should not be limited to Sunday services, and that's why we try and provide opportunities for people to get together during the week. Life together as a Christian community is not easy, but it is what we are called to. And when it comes to living together, our passage from Colossians answers three very important questions. Why should we live together? How should we live together? And what is our life together rooted in? So firstly, why should we live together? Verse 12 begins by telling us three things that God has done for us. It says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy And dearly loved. So straight away we see that God has chosen us, He's made us holy, and He has loved us. God has chosen us. The Colossian Christians had no control over the gospel coming to them. God chose them, not the other way around. And if we know and love Jesus, we've been elected by God out of the ungodly state of our own hearts and out of the ungodly influences that prevail. Uh, in a post-Christian society. We often talk about choosing to follow Jesus, and uh, in a sense, we all have to make a decision about Jesus, whether to follow him or not. But we would never make that choice. We would never make that decision to follow Jesus if it were not for the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the doctrine of election, that election, that is to say our being chosen by God, this is uh, very tricky and we're not going to delve into it today. Uh, but suffice to say that if you love Jesus, it's because he has chosen you. And yet, 
Anyone can turn to Jesus and belong to his chosen people. No one who truly repents will ever be turned away. It's not an exclusive club. Everyone uh, can belong. But if you're chosen for something, then you have an obligation. If you're chosen to play for the Australian cricket team, you can't sit at home uh, watching them on TV, beating England. Uh, you'd have to... You'd have to go and play alongside your teammates. If we're chosen by God, we need to be with the team. We need to live with our Christian brothers and sisters, and we need to fulfill the mission that God has given us. Next, we see that God has made us holy. That doesn't mean we're perfect. Perfection will come, but not in this life. But it does mean that God has cancelled out, blotted out, and erased our sins. In theological language, we have been justified. God no longer holds our sins against us. But there is an ongoing process by which we must be, and again using uh, theological language, by which we must be sanctified. That is to say, through the work of the Holy Spirit and through our cooperation with the Holy Spirit, we gradually become more and more like Jesus. It it is the, uh, the process of being made holy. And it is a process that takes place within the church. I I recently read an article by Stephen McAlpine, and I was struck uh, by this. He said, I make no apologies for saying this, but the primary role of the church is not to be a place that tries to attract non-Christians to attend. The primary role of the church is to equip the church to live in the light of the gospel in a dark world. Our aim is not to get non-Christians to go to church. Our aim is to equip the church to go out into the world and lean into it in all sorts of brave and noble ways for Jesus. I'm confident enough that if we make that our aim, then the byproduct will be that some non-Christians will come to church. Don't hear me wrong. Of course, we are interested in evangelism. We want people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. But there's no point in making our church ever more accessible and appealing to those outside if when that person from outside the church comes in, they're not then encouraged to grow in faith and holiness. God has made us holy and is making us holy. And our life together is the means by which he does that. And it is our life together that will shine the light of Christ most lightly, uh, most brightly. Uh, a light that will repel some and be irresistible to others. And the next we see that God has loved us. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. We don't need any other reason to love one another. It's very simple. God loves us and so we love others. Jesus Jesus commanded us uh, even to love our enemies. If we're to do that, what possible excuse have we got for not loving our brothers and sisters in Christ? So we know why we should live together. We've been chosen for this life. It's the means by which we're made holy. And we are dearly loved by God. And of course, we extend that love to one another within the church and beyond the church. Secondly, how should we live together? Uh, Next, we're told to clothe ourselves with a number of virtues. Now, if we read from the beginning of Colossians 3, uh, we would have seen that the Christian is urged to put off old vices. 
uh, from verses 5 to 10, the following evils are mentioned. Uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. Uh, It's not a comprehensive list, but it's a good starter for 10. Uh, But the Christian life is not just about ceasing to do evil, the putting off of something. It's also about learning to do well, the putting on of something. We are to put on or clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. It's a great image, that of uh, taking off our vices like clothes and putting on the garments that are to characterize our lives as Christians. It's as if we throw off our filthy rags and step into the Christian wardrobe. There's a great charity in London called Suited and Booted. And what they do is they provide clothes um, for people who have hit rock bottom who want to attend a a job interview or the like. Uh, And and literally, you'll have someone who is living in a squat or a hostel. Maybe they've managed to get a job interview or they're hoping to do so, but they can't go in their one set of uh, disheveled, scruffy, perhaps even dirty clothes. And so what they do is they go to what is a very upmarket tailor near the Bank of England, and they get fitted for a suit. Uh, The suits have been donated, but they're excellent quality. And they literally take off their filthy rags, and they walk out of there looking like a very well-to-do businessman, full three-piece suit, shirt, tie, shoes, the lot. Uh, I had a friend who had recently come out of prison, and we were attending a, a function at the House of Lords, and uh, it was quite a smart um, sort of function, and he went to suited and booted. And when I met him there, I couldn't believe the transformation. He looked like a completely different person. It was so wonderful to see. Uh, and that's a rather lovely picture, I think, of what happens when we give our lives to Jesus. We cast off our old life and we put on the new. But unlike clothing, which we can change very quickly, our, uh, the, the transformation of our character is an ongoing process that lasts the entirety of our lives. And it's a process that takes place in relationship with other Christians. So let's look look briefly at these new clothes that we're to to put on. Compassion. Compassion is not just something that we feel, it's something that we do. Uh, uh, James 2, 15 to 16 says this, suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. That's a brother or sister, someone within the church. Without food and uh, clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? Genuine compassion is costly. It spurs us to action. It means taking care of the people in our church, in our church family. It extends beyond the church, but it begins here. If we're not compassionate to our brothers and sisters within the church, we're hardly going to be compassionate to people outside the church who we don't even know. And then kindness. The word kindness stems from the word kin. In this context, it means treating others within the church as if they're close family, which of course they are in the spiritual sense. I was once involved in a mentoring project uh, aimed at getting young people back into work. And what we'd say to the mentors was this. Uh, Supposing this young person, this mentee, was your nephew or your niece, 
what lengths would you go to to get them back into work? Well, we want you to do that for this young person. Within the church, we are to treat each other with kindness. We're to treat each other as kin, as close family. Then humility. Humility has to do with our estimate of ourselves. Do we see ourselves as being somehow superior to other people? Or do we recognize that we're all helpless, sinful human beings who need Jesus? Then gentleness. Are we sensitive to the feelings of others? Are we mindful, not just of what we're saying, but how we're saying it? Often the closer you are to a person, the harder it is to be gentle in the way uh, that we speak to them, especially if we're riled, frustrated, or stressed. Uh, But we are to clothe ourselves with gentleness. As we go about the week, let's be mindful of the way that we're speaking to others, the way that we're responding to others. Are we being gentle? And if we're not, that's something we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us with, uh, as we can with any of these uh, virtues. Then we have patience, long-suffering, which is conducive to peaceful relations. If a person is upping, you know, one person is upping the ante and the other person isn't, there's only so far that the, the aggressive person can go before they have to start coming back down. It's not always the case, but very often patience will diffuse friction. Paul continues that we are to bear with each other and forgive one another. So much rancor exists within our society, and it's really ugly. When I, when I was about five, I remember my mum talking to uh, the lady next door, and uh, I, I recall our neighbour saying, I hate her guts. And I didn't know who she was talking about, and I, didn't, I don't remember anything else she said in that conversation. In fact, I don't remember anything else that woman ever said. That's the only thing I can remember our, distinctly remember our neighbor ever saying. Uh, but I remember finding her words incredibly jarring. Presumably, there was someone that she wasn't willing to bear with or forgive or both. But, you know, we should be as sensitive to our own rancor, bitterness, and unforgiveness as we are to that of others. In fact, we should be more sensitive to our own. We cannot afford to harbor resentment. We're commanded to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. But the fact that we've been given this command within the context of the church is a stark reminder that there will be something to forgive. Uh, uh, There will be times when someone in the church hurts us, offends us, or wrongs us. And the closer we get to one another, the higher the chance of that happening. We must be ready to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean sweeping things under the carpet. If we've been wronged by someone in the church, then that needs to be dealt with. But our default position should be one of forgiveness. So as you can see, this is quite a New Year's resolution. We're being called to put one another ahead of ourselves. We're not talking about a pleasant-sounding theory. This is our life together as Christians. So that's really just a snapshot of how we should live together. We now, now come to what our life together is rooted in. And the obvious answer would be Christ, and that's the right answer. But we find in our passage two very important aspects of being rooted in Christ, uh, the love of Christ and the message of Christ. Firstly, love. We're told to clothe ourselves with a number of virtues, and each one implies 
love. As Paul says, love binds them all together. If a person is loving, then the other virtues will proceed from that love. Without love, it all just falls apart. You know, it is possible to do something that looks kind and compassionate, but without love, it's not genuine kindness or compassion. I I expect from time to time you get um, uh, people coming to your door canvassing for various charities. Well, not so long ago, I was speaking with two fundraisers on the doorstep, and they asked me what I did for a living, and so I told them uh, that I was a minister. I told them about St. Andrews, and, and then when they came to ask me if I'd like to make a regular donation... I thought, well, I've just told them that I'm a minister and I should be uh, generous. If I don't give, I'm going to look really mean. And so, of course, I signed up. Uh, But I wasn't being compassionate or kind. I wasn't motivated by love. I was just trying to save face. It's a terrible admission, I know. And we all know there's such a thing as false humility. In fact, I heard a new name for it recently, the humble brag. And I was looking through some of the humble brags that people have tweeted. And my favorite was this one uh, from a very well-known pastor in the U.S. Actually, this is someone I like and respect, so maybe just drop the ball uh, with this one. But this is what he tweeted. I'm truly humbled you follow my tweets. I pray they enrich your life and strengthen your ministry. God bless all 200,000 of you. For the virtues we've been talking about to be genuine, they must be rooted in love. But they must also be rooted in Christ's message. Love is an easy word to band around. But only by paying attention to Christ's message will we ever truly know or begin to know what love is. As fallen human beings, every aspect of our nature is marred. And that includes our capacity to love. We need the message of Christ. We need the word of God to keep us on track. Love without Jesus' message could mean whatever you want it to mean. It could mean living on a hippie commune and practicing free love. It could mean loving those people that you find it easy to love, but no one else. Uh, Love on its own is not enough. It needs to be combined with obedience to Christ's message, obedience to the word of God. Equally, Jesus' message without love, which is in itself an oxymoron, that the two can't be separated, but some people try. And the result is dry, dusty, legalistic religion. So the word of Christ is to dwell among us richly as we teach and admonish one another. Admonish means to caution, to advise, even to scold or reprove. Loving someone doesn't always mean telling them exactly what they want to hear. A true friend, someone who genuinely loves you, will tell you the truth even when it's very difficult for you to hear it. If more people were willing to lovingly admonish those closest to them, the X Factor wouldn't have so many appalling acts in the early stages. We lovingly admonish uh, those uh, who are part of our, our family. The message of Christ enables us to teach and admonish and offer wise counsel to one another. If our life together is not rooted in the message of Christ, and to be honest, we're just making it up as we go along. We can only sustain this new life together by receiving and obeying Christ's message. And the Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs that Paul speaks of express the joy and the unity 
that come from living this life together, rooted in the love and the message of Christ. And this life together that God has given us, this being brought into God's family, is something for which we should be profoundly grateful. Verse 17 says, And whatever we do, whether in word or deed, we do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So before we make our New Year's resolutions, let's have, a, maybe in our own time, another read of Colossians 3, 12 to 17. And let's aim to practice this kind of life together in 2018 and beyond. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, sometimes it's often easier to do things in isolation to other people. Uh, we recognize this. Even when it comes to our faith, it's, it's often very easy to have a, a private faith, uh, a faith that we practice at home. But we pray, Father, that we'll recognize that the way that we will grow in holiness together as a church is by living our life together. According to the verse that we've read this morning, the passage, we pray, Father, that you will help us to be mindful of this as we go into the new year. You will help us to be willing to genuinely uh, befriend and love the people who are around us right now. We pray, Father, that uh, increasingly, even as we grow in size, uh, that the sense of family and community and love and fellowship will increase. And we pray that as we grow closer to one another and these tensions that can arise and inevitably uh, will arise at some point in some situations, we pray uh, that, we will, uh, that we will show compassion and kindness and humility and patience and gentleness and all these virtues that help us to relate well to each other and to love each other fully. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.